Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father, I do thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to come and to open your Word, God, and to just receive whatever you would have for us this morning, Lord. So I pray, Father, that our hearts would be good soil, Father, that we'd be able to focus and not be distracted by um, by our even our mornings, God, or whatever may have come to seek to to keep us from what you would have for us, God. So we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you chose us, Father, and that um, we are here, Father, for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. These words from these songs encourage you. They're new songs. I'm not sure how many of you may know them.
You might not recognize me now Those chains are once around me
yes, there's a day coming soon. this morning, God, that as we gather to open up your word, Father, that we'd be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Father, you know where each one of us are at, Lord, and just thank you, Father, that it's your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word, which is truth. Your word is a living word. God, that can pierce to the depths of our being and all how we need your word Father in this hour as we're reminded daily that the world is growing darker and darker but we as your church are to be growing brighter and brighter that we are not to cower down in this generation but know God that we are to be emboldened by the Holy Spirit to live upright in a crooked and perverse generation 
to announce the good news of your kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you sent your one and only Son that to die for us, and that he who would believe in your Son, Father, shall have eternal life. You call the church to bear to be your witness, to bear witness, to be your ambassadors as we go forth. So God, may we not be tainted by the world, but may we be separated and be among them, Lord, to serve them and to love them as you, Father, came to serve and to love. So encourage us this day, Lord, I pray, through the reading of your word and through the leading of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Give us a, a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. For your name's sake, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 6, verse 7 is our scripture for the year. One scripture I challenge y'all every year to, to memorize and to not only just memorize, but to live it out. And so this year, 2020, the scripture is do not be misled. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will harvest what you plant. And as a small fellowship, we've been through a lot over the past few years. But God still has us here. People have come and people have gone. But I'm expecting God to do something incredible among us this year. To really challenge us to grow and to mature. Not just to exist. You know, I think I said it last Sunday. God didn't do all that he did through Christ just for people to show up for an hour on a Sunday. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a life transformed by the power of God. Not a life that is perfect, but a life that is maturing. Because we're not perfected until we're with Him. But in that understanding, we don't continue to remain enslaved to sin. We know that sin is destructive. And we know that the wrath of God is being stored up. And one day it's going to be released because of sin. That's what I've been challenging us. Why would we choose his wrath over his love when God has been so gracious to reveal himself to us through Jesus Christ? There's hope for the dying world. And as we've been talking and as I've been encouraging you all, the world is growing darker. In my prayer, I've mentioned it yet again and I talk about it a lot. And people say, well, that, you seem to be focused so much on it. Well, you can't help not to be. Look around you getting darker and darker. It's getting more chaotic as the days are progressing. People are more anxious and depressed and overwhelmed than ever before on the face of the earth. And where's the church? And how is the church responding? She should be responding as Christ would. Giving hope. Being the light. See the good news? You say, where's the good news if everything's getting so dark? I keep telling you, if the church is still on the earth. That's the good news. We're here. We're here for a purpose. And I, and I keep challenging y'all to, to remember you were, you were born with a purpose. Not for your own, but for God's. The Bible says that God knew you and God formed you. In your, even before he placed you in your mother's womb. And he has good works for you to do while you're upon this earth. And it's works that He has prepared for you. And as soon as your eyes are open to the truth of who Christ is, and now you shift and you're born again of the Spirit of God, and now you're living differently, 
don't think that the old man or the old woman isn't going to keep screaming at you. Because every day you're going to be challenged. Every day the enemy is going to try to remind you and draw you back. And that's why I love that second song where he says, no, no, I don't need to hear your lies. I need to remind you you're under my feet because in Christ you're victorious. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. And I keep challenging you through what the Word of God says. See, the Bible says that you just can't be hearers of the Word. You have to be doers of the Word. And the Bible tells us that we are to consider ourselves dead, that we've nailed our old selves to His cross. And that the interest of the world is to be no longer. And the world's interest in us is of no value either. Because we're living differently now. You see, we all come from brokenness because we're all born in rebellion towards God. And as we've been studying through the Bible, I keep reminding us that so many times I've been guilty of it. I'm sure we all have been guilty of it, that we blame God. But see, God is perfect. There's no error found in God, even in his justice, even in his wrath. He's still right. And sometimes that's hard to comprehend, but when you truly grasp the fullness of who he is, you can't help but bow down and say, my life is yours. I'm not going to cling to the temporalness of this life when the temporalness of this life has nothing for, for me. Because remember, the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that's to die. Every, every person who has took a breath of life eventually is going to take the final breath. Death is coming to us all. And yet in our flesh, in our old nature before Christ, this is what we're craving, death. And it drags us to the very things that kill us. And that's why I was saying a couple weeks ago, oh, you can fight to demand your right to the things of your desires all you want. But do you realize what you're in agreement with? Do you realize that you're demanding wrath and death? That's what you want to cling to. I was there. I lived that for many years. But once you taste the goodness of God and you see him for truly who he is and you understand the life in which he has given you through Christ, oh, you won't settle for the temporal things of this life. You will get up every day. And every time you fall, you're going to get right back up because you're clinging to Christ, that which is and whom is eternal. That's the good news, you all. That's the good news. And so we are not living lives that are in mockery to God. And so what we are sowing to is what we're going to receive back. And so if you're living a life of the flesh, then expect to receive that back, death, destruction, rebellion. But if you're sowing into the kingdom of God, if you're sowing into truth, if you're sowing into righteousness, then that is what you're going to receive back. You will walk upright. Your countenance will be lifted. And no matter what is coming against you and what is weighing down on you, you will have the strength to endure. Because remember, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcame the world. See, in this world, and and I've shared with you, Christian persecution around the world is in the highest state it's ever been on the earth. 
overseas, the, the amount of Christians that are being persecuted, that are being put to death, is at the highest level it's ever been. And you see it creeping in to the Western church. Oh, we're not being dragged out yet and being put to death, but we are being pushed back on. We are being pushed back on. And I keep encouraging y'all to think about it. Why would the governments of the world want to do away with Christians? Why are Christians the first target of those who are enslaved to the world? Christians you would want around. They are people who are hard workers. They're honest. They're caring. They think of others before they think of themselves. They're hard workers. They contribute to society. <laughs> they mind their own business. So these, that's how a Christian ought to be living. And yet they're being slaughtered because of the message of their king, Jesus. We carry his message into a world that can't stand him. And he himself says, oh, they're going to persecute you. They're going to do away with you. They're going to drag you out in the open and slaughter you for my name's sake. But be of good cheer. (laughs) See, in the natural mind, that doesn't make any sense. For many years, I wrestled not coming to Christ. I had all these accusations against God. (laughs) Who would sign up for something like that? Who would sign up for a movement that ultimately... You're going to be hated because of the one in whom you say you claim to serve. In the natural mind, you wouldn't. But when you pull back the natural mindness, and when you pull back the temporalness of life, and you see him for truly who he is, that he is ushering in his kingdom, that there's going to be a day that he's going to split that eastern sky, and he's going to return for those who belong to him. And the others are going to endure his wrath. And he is just to do so. God's plan from the beginning, I keep encouraging you all. You can see it from Genesis, I mean, sorry, Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation. Is that he wants to have a people set aside for himself. A people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And the Bible captures us, for us, this whole understanding of God's plan. He sets the people aside for himself, and he's coming back for them. And every generation since the beginning of time, he's had a people for himself. They live for him, they honor him, they love him, they serve him. It's all about him. And that's why I'm fascinated how the church has gotten to a place where we've made it all about us. We want to come to church. You want to hear a good message that makes me feel good and tell me how I'm going to live a better life now. And I keep asking yourself and and, and asking y'all and encouraging you all, like, I don't know if we're ready for the time that's coming upon this earth as the church. I don't know if we are. Because we can barely stand now. So that's why I can't just come here on Sundays with you and and, and give you a little pep talk to make you feel better about yourself. No, I want to open up the Word of God 
and I want you to hear the Word of God in hopes that you would respond to the Word of God as we should as the church to prepare us for the days that are ahead so that we would bear witness as we're serving and loving others that desperately need to hear the message of Christ. I want you to turn before we go to the book of Numbers. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter one, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We've read these scriptures before, but I want to bring them back to us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 15. And I want to encourage you weekly to go back to these verses. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And the whole purpose of these scriptures is to remind us of the lessons that we can learn from Israel's desire for idolatry. Now, we're walking through the Bible. We're reading now in the book of Numbers, and then we go to the New Testament, Mark, and we're we're all finished with the Psalm and then a few Proverbs. And as we're being in the Old Testament, we're seeing how God has set these people aside for himself. The nation Israel. Ultimately, the Messiah is coming through. Jesus. Remember, God announced Jesus back in the garden after the fall of man. He said to the serpent, there's going to come one that's going to crush your head. Jesus was announced then to all creation. And now all creation is waiting for the Messiah. God has set a people apart. They are to be different from the other nations that are in the world. And the other nations are looking upon them, looking at how God is orchestrating and moving them to ultimately worship Him, to be His people, to be set apart, to be holy. And He keeps warning them, do not fall prey to the other nations around you. Don't go back to do what you knew. No, keep moving forward. Worship me. Honor me. Know me. I am for you. I'm not against you. In fact, God is with them. God is moving with them. God is speaking to them. God is feeding them. God is giving them water to drink. He's moving them through the wilderness to get them to the land that he's promised. All because of God's word. God is faithful to his word. He made a covenant with Abraham. And he's bringing it about. But they fall back into idolatry. They fall back into the, to the love of and, 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 and being impacted by the desires and the perversion from the other nations around them. So hear this. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1 through 15. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters. Now, Paul's writing to the church, so this is a letter to the church about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and they all and all of them drank from the spiritual rock. I'm sorry, let me back up. Verse 3. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank 
the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. And yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to who? To us. The church. So that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan rivalry, and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. This is what the people of God did. They gave in to the lust and to the desires of this world. And then I love verse 9. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them, look at this, as examples for us. So why do we read the Old Testament? Why do we need to have a knowledge of them? As an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live, look at this, at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fail. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. And this is the good news, you all. Every day that you get up, I keep reminding you, you're behind enemy lines. You have a choice. You can serve the enemy. You can go the way that everyone else is going. Or you can choose Christ, who's already overcame this world, has already overcame the enemy, and who can give you the power to be transformed from the old to the new. And that you can walk upright and trust the fact that no matter how your mind is being bombarded, no matter how what's coming from your heart, that the desire's rising up, that he's going to make a way out. If you would just seek him and trust him, he will mature you and grow you. So these are lessons about Israel that we are to heed the warning to. And that's why we have the Old Testament. Let's go there. Numbers is where we're at. Chapter 12 and 13. We left off in chapter 11 last week when the people of God, they were tired of manna. They were tired of that bread from heaven. They wanted meat. Feed us meat. Remember, they were grumbling and they were complaining. I mean, God has moved and done miraculous things among them. And they were lusting for what was behind them. They wanted slavery. They were remembering what it was like back in Egypt, the place that God delivered them from, the place of hardship. They were enslaved there. They were beaten. They were treated less than. And yet, it looked better to them than where they were at with God. And how sad. 
And so then they were complaining. They wanted to eat. So God gave them meat. Remember? He fed them till they were sick of it. <laughs> and now we pick up verse 1, chapter 12. While they were at Hezeroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a, Cush, a Cushite woman. Miriam is Moses' sister, and Aaron, of course, is his brother, the high priest. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on the earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So all three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses of all my house, He is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Oh, how the church needs to hear that today. Because we're so quick to tear down leaders. Think about that. We're so quick. Just Miriam and Aaron was. So quick to lash out our tongue against pastors, against evangelists, against whoever in the church. (laughs) Instead of reframing, biting your tongue, (laughs) and learning how to submit. If leaders are in error, they will be held accountable. You should hold your leaders accountable if they are in error. But if they're not in error, and you just don't like how they do, if you're just conjuring things up, or listening to what others are saying, and now everyone is just talking... Pay attention. It doesn't please God. God hears. God hears. You know, I always tell you, if you've got a problem with me, come to me. Talk with me. You've got a problem with each other, go to each other. If it's not going to get resolved by going to each other, then get others from the church involved. Because ultimately we want to see the healing take place. We want to see reconciliation. We don't want to give the enemy foothold to division and strife that would just tear down. Whenever you gossip, whenever you slander, you're not building up. You're contributing to that which is tearing down. And you ought to be very careful who you're allowing inside your head with their words that are of nothing but division and strife. God called them out. And notice here, 
When he called them, Miriam and Aaron went. I would imagine, though, they should have known what they were doing was wrong. But even then, they went to the presence of God. Instead of first seeking him and going, oh, wait a minute, we've done wrong. So God had to set them straight. God had to call them out. Like, you're speaking against my servant. He's the one that I speak to face to face. He's the one that hears from me, is in relationship with me, and so why were you not afraid to criticize him? The Lord, it says here in verse 9, was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left left Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Wow. See, whenever, whatever our sin is, <laughs> there's consequences. Remember what I said earlier. The flesh knows nothing more than to die. And everything the flesh gives itself to, that's what you're going to receive. Death. There's nothing good in it. There's nothing good in criticizing people and tearing down people with our words. Nothing good can come from it. I love Moses' response. When Aaron came to him and was broken, like, oh God. (laughs) Like, I recognize we sinned, we did wrong. (laughs) Moses' response is how we all should respond when others come against us. Don't take it so personal. No, remain humble. So many times we're so quick. If we hear either our people praising us or people tearing us down, don't fall prey to any of it. Because those who praise you will eat you alive the next day. Those who tear you down, they've got more issues than you. (laughs) We've got to learn to be secure in our new identity. If you're in Christ, you can get to a place where you are secured in Christ and you're not moved by the praises of men or the criticism of men. 
because you find your worth in Christ. And that's why I keep encouraging you all. Are you living out of your brokenness, out of your past? Or are you learning how to live out of the wholeness that is found in Christ? For many years, I lived out of my brokenness. And so my brokenness moved me to places, to to situations, to to areas that were broken. (laughs) That's where broken people go, to brokenness. But when you're in Christ and you begin to move out of a secure position found only in him, then you begin to move and with secure feet in a secure position in a world of the unknown. And people are going to say things, again, rather they're praising you or criticizing you, especially as now we're so involved in social media. Everyone has an opinion. But we're not to be moved. And I loved what Moses did here. He didn't say, oh no, she's go- she deserves what she gets. And now I hope it comes on you for running your mouth. Oh no, he didn't turn on them. He graciously humbled himself. He said, God, I beg you, please heal her. Make her whole. That should be your prayer for people. God, make them whole. In Christ, heal their broken areas of their lives. Touch them, Lord. Raise them up. And they may know Christ and serve Christ. God responded to Moses' plea, but God says she's going to be still held accountable for what she's done. The people waited. Miriam was brought back into the camp. It's a beautiful picture of reconciliation. And I keep encouraging you in that. The church over the years has, has, has done it wrong. Someone slips up. Someone gets involved in whatever. The church finds out. The church points their finger at them and throws them out. And everyone says, good riddance. But have we forgotten? We're no different. At any moment, any of us could slip up and fall. Jesus lays out in the New Testament how to deal with issues in the church. Yes, we're to go to the brother or sister and we're to minister to them and speak to them and remind them of who they are in Christ. We're to expose the sin. And if they don't want to hear, then we bring other church members alongside them. (laughs) And we sit down with them and we tell them, like, listen, we recognize this is what's going on in your life. It is contrary to the truth of God's word. You are among the fellowship. Are you going to repent? If they say no, then you bring it to the leaders of the church. The leaders get involved now with the church, with the individual. We know that you're in sin. Are you going to repent? They say no. Then they need to be put out in hopes that they would be restored. The door is always open. (laughs) And I share Norma as an example. I had to put her out years ago. 
She was refusing to turn back to Christ. She thought she could keep one foot out and one foot in. And when she cleaned to me outside, I had to take her arms from me and tell her to go. Go. Go have your share of the world. Go get your fill of what you want to feast off of. But remember you're loved. But I can't allow this to go on. Was it easy for her? No. Was it easy for me? No. Was it easy for us? No. But God, years later, I received a phone call. Can we talk? And God did miraculously in her life and drew her back to himself and to fellowship with believers. And now she's a different woman. I wonder if we just allowed her to continue to do what she wanted to do. Run amok. It makes a mockery of Christ. And so, yes, the church ought to deal with the sin that is among her. But we don't do it in a way that destroys the person. Now, yes, they're not going to be too happy. But Norma knew that she was loved. And I always told her through all the years that I was ministering to her, love wins, Norma, like you're loved. Like we love you, but Christ loves you more. And so when we have to sit people out, which the church should be doing, it's for their benefit to bring them back to Christ. Remember what Paul said to the church in Corinth? There was sexual sin going on. And he says, you all are allowing it. In fact, it's almost as if you're applauding it. Throw that man out. He said it much harsher. Turn him over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. See, the church is doing no one benefit just keeping everyone sitting in church and enslaved to sin. Because then the world looks in and goes, where's your God? Because that was the problem I had with the church when I was enslaved to the world. Everyone wanted me to come to Jesus, but they were having a problem coming to the club with me. And so what is your Jesus have that I need? <laughs> because all that I have right now, I'm somewhat enjoying. At least I thought I was. Because that's how sin deceives you. The very things that's destroying you, you're enjoying. I saw no difference. I saw no difference. The same gospel is preached to every form of sin. <laughs> You're in rebellion. You need Jesus. And God sent Him because of His love for you. If you would just respond to him, receive this free gift of salvation because you can't clean yourself up, but he can do it through you. If you would just trust in him, turn to him, believe and have faith that he is the son of God, that he rose from the dead. You are born again. Now get up and learn how to walk in the newness of this life. 
from the beginning as we're reading till the end, as we make it to Revelation, we're going to see the same concept, newness of life. God was showing them how they were to live. Set apart from the other nations to live different. So I just want to encourage you all that as the church, we don't take sin for granted. We don't take it lightly. No, we need to love each other and encourage each other. Be bold with each other. Be accountable to each other. And don't be shocked if someone is revealing to you what they're going through. We're not to be shocked. Because each of us has a past and each of us have desires that are contrary to God's word. But if we're opening up ourselves, and that's why we do it this way. A lot of people question, well, why do you do church in a home? Why don't you, Rob, just go and get a building on the corner of the street and open up a church? Because to be honest with you all, it's not what God has called us to. It's not what God laid upon my heart years ago. It could be easy to go and do. But God has called us here in an intimate fellowship to where people from all walks of life can come and hear the good news. And not only that, but have a close-knit of family, of accountability, instead of being lost in a crowd. Ultimately, I would love to see us grow and, and, and produce other house churches throughout the community, throughout the nation. We're not the only house churches. There's others that are out there forming in America, more so than there ever been. They're blowing up overseas. They're all over the place. But now there's a movement in America with house churches. People just getting back to the basics of the Bible, learning how to do fellowship with one another, to be a family. To have a place where we can gather to honor Christ, to encourage each other, to build each other up. Not to tear each other down. But our hope is to see people restored to Christ. If they don't want to be, that's their choice. Like, see, we don't hate the world. We don't hate the lost. We don't hate people. Because we recognize we were once there. But we also know we're not just going to yoke ourselves with them and pretend they're saved. We're just not going to say, okay, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian, poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian, we're all going to heaven. Because that's not even found in the Bible. The road to heaven, the cost of discipleship, is a very narrow road. Not everybody's on it. And not everybody who's professing to be a Christian is a Christian. So how would you know? Look at the fruit of their life. You would know them by their fruit. And if there's no fruit, no matter how they, want, how they want to stand up and pray and say the word and do good deeds and serve, if there's no fruit, something's wrong. Something's wrong. But we do give grace to everyone because everyone is growing. So even though there may just be a little bit of fruit, you should still continue to see growth. Because some are infants in Christ, some are middle-aged, some are senior saints. We're all at a different place. But you should see growth. That's what we're looking for. Let's move on here. Chapter 13. 
Now, God is leading them. They're getting closer and closer to the promised land. The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm, going, I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp into the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. So we see the list of the tribes there. We see the list of their leaders. I'm not going to butcher their names. Verse 16. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hosea, son of Nun, by the name of Joshua. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev and to the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is their soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron where Hanan, Shishai, whatever that guy's name is, and the other ones, the descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zon. When they came to the valley of Eshcol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. And the descendants of Anak, next to them we felt like grasshoppers 
grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. I don't know about you, but do you hear this report? It's all based out of fear. It's all based out of false perceptions. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Fear overtook them. Again, they had seen God move. They know that God has called them to this land. And if God has brought them out, God will see them through. And instead of trusting in God, they cower down in fear. That's what we're visiting here. That's what we're reading here. That's what we're seeing. Caleb and Joshua, the only two that came back with faith in God. Look at what Caleb said. Caleb was trying to quiet it down. But people would not hear. They were moved by these men and their report. That's what fear does. Fear strikes at the heart of everyone who receives it. And it holds them in bondage. Fear produces anxiety and panic and everything else that hinders and cripples people from their destiny. This is the land in which God promised them and they didn't want it. Because there was a report of the men and the people that lived there. They're bigger than us. See, so many times you make our problems bigger than what they are. And we ought not to do that. Because if God has called us out, again, He will see us through. Trust Him. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, no matter what's going to come up this week that seems bigger than you, bigger than your finances, bigger than anything else, trust in your God, who ultimately is God. He's greater than your fears. He's greater than your fears. Don't, uh, Don't forget, and we'll see it as we continue to move forward, The old generation that came out of Egypt, they all had to die. They did not enter in because they didn't believe in God. Caleb and Joshua are the only two adults that were brought out of Egypt that will enter in to the promised land with the new generation of the Israelites moving in. And I love the understanding too that as God is bringing them into this land, they're going to have to face challenges. This land is going to ultimately be given to Israel, but it's going to come at a great sacrifice. But God keeps reminding them, I am your God. The battle belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you, but you're going to face your enemies. See, I don't know when when Christians decided to become these weird, weak people of no power. Cowered down, locked up in their buildings because we're afraid of the world. Ah, No, we're not to be afraid. We're to be boldly living our lives out among them. And daily you should be getting up, recognizing that you're behind enemy lines, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And you go forth each day with your eyes focused on God, 
Serving Him is serving others. Until He calls us home. We're to continue to be about our Father's business. Trusting in Him. Acknowledging Him. That's how you conquer fear. By allowing it to be swallowed up by faith. Speak forth what you know to be true. Speak to that giant that is standing before you. Speak to the circumstances that are screaming at you. And allow them to be swallowed up by faith. Faith in your God. That He is for you and not against you. Whose report are you going to believe? The lie of the enemy? Or the report of the Lord? There is no error in that report. It is truth. It is yes and amen. And so, oh, that we would learn the lesson from these Israelites. Let us go forth this week not bound by fear, but let us ask God to increase our faith. That we would be a people that will walk by faith and not by sight. And that's why it's vital that you're being discipled. That's why it's vital that you're connecting. That's why it's vital that you're growing that you're praying, that you're seeking. The Bible says you have not because you've asked not. So seek this week. Go this week. Challenge yourselves to expose the lies and the fears that have crippled you. So many people live lies that they've settled for. Y'all, don't settle anymore. Get up and move forward. Go to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. Verses 22 through 52. Mark 14, verse 22 through 52. Last week we left off. The Lord was having communion with the disciples. Remember, he exposed Judas. So as they were eating, verse 22, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, Oh, this is important. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. This new covenant, this understanding of of, of the, the bread being broken as a symbolism of his body, the cup of wrath, that is going to be poured out upon him, that he's going to shed his blood. It's a covenant agreement with God that many will be saved on the way to the Mount of Olives. Jesus told them, For all of you will desert me. For scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. 
And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you ever knew me. No, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Instead of just listening. He's filled with almost arrogance. Like, no, Lord, I love you too much. I'm sold out for you. I'm not ever going to turn back. Careful. Don't be prideful. Don't think you're all in. And then you notice how everyone else chimed in with Peter. Oh, no, yeah, we wouldn't leave you either. And now Jesus just said, Scripture says... So instead of understanding what Jesus is saying, they're now twisting. That's like the enemy. The enemy will do whatever he can to twist in your hearts and your mind the scriptures that you're hearing to keep you ignorant of the truth of God's word. And that's why I've always challenged you, be careful. Do not let the enemy teach you theology. The enemy knows scripture. He knows it. That's why he twists it. That's why he perverts it. And he's keeping many of people enslaved to sin because of their ignorance. That's why it's vital that you all are growing and you're being discipled in the Word of God. And that's why I've always challenged you, if you're hearing a gospel that's giving you the right to yourself, it's a false gospel. And that is what's being preached all throughout the land. That is what's rising up in the days before Christ returns. There's going to be such a move of, of distortion of Scripture, a perverted Scripture being raised up to keep many people enslaved to themselves. And they're going to endure the wrath of God because they allow the enemy to teach them their theology. You don't want the enemy to teach you about God. He's in rebellion towards God. He thinks he's greater than God. And he raises up these leaders, gives them a pulpit, gives them a church, and they just spew lies. Oh, they can give you a good message. They can tickle your funny bone and make you feel good about yourself. And all along... They're keeping you from God. Remember about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that Jesus himself had an issue with. They were the men, the religious men of the hour of that day. These were the men that were leading God's people. And Jesus says to them, your father's the devil. You travel far to win converts, but you're making them twice as much as the son of hell as you are. And yet people are being led blindly by these leaders who are twisting God's word. And that's why I told you, Paul, go, check what you're hearing me say. Go, know the word of God. I have a desire to get the word of God into the hands of people. Not just to stand on a platform and just spew it over you, but to do life with you, to live with you, to to trust in God's word with you. So that your life is being fed and that you're growing. It's vital. Jesus just told them, this is what scripture says. 
And here's the good news. When I raised from the dead, so instead of them even listening to any of that, ah, no, 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 not, not me, God. I'll never deny you. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, not me. And so then everyone else. Oh, yeah, not us. We won't either. We won't either. But Scripture has to come to pass. Just because these men raised up and said, not us, that's not going to change God's mind. God didn't go, oh, look at these men. Look how faithful they'll be. God is true to his word. They're about to scatter. They went into the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. (laughs) He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, these are Jesus' words, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus fully God, fully human. He knew his purpose from the beginning. He knew his purpose from the beginning. Before the earth was formed, the cross was purpose. Listen, when Adam and Eve fell, the cross wasn't a second, an afterthought of God. Oh, now what are we going to do? No, no, no. The cross was always purposed. Even before the earth was formed, Jesus knew he would come to redeem the created beings. It's a beautiful love story. I challenge you all. No man could write it. I know people say, ah, oh, that man wrote the Bible. Why would you believe that? Man wrote this Bible, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. This is God's word from beginning to the end. And I challenged you before. There's no way ever that men that lived generations apart from each other could write a book that fits perfectly together. There's no way. God inspired man man to write his inspired word so that you would have it in your hand so that it will lead you home. That's the beauty of it. Jesus knew his purpose was the cross. He knew not only was the cross his purpose, but he had to endure the wrath of God. That for a moment in time, he would be separated and take on what you deserved. That's what he did for us, you all. He willingly laid his life down and he now knows that the hour is here. It is time. And he knows what he's going to have to endure. The beatings, the mockery, his body being torn apart. But what troubled him the most was the cup of wrath that was going to pour out on him. Not the beatings, not the mocking, not his body being ripped apart. It was the hour and the moment in which he would have to endure the wrath. 
But he says, but not my will. Your will be done. What has already been established, let it be. God, you all, I don't know about you, but that brings so much joy to me. I hate that he had to endure it, but I'm so glad that he did. That in the darkest of hour of my life, when I was scared about to end my life, he stepped into that room and he said, Today, you'll live. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, has he stepped into your life, y'all? Has he revealed himself to you? Like, I've got you. If you would just turn to me, trust in me, like, everything will be made new. What life has thrown at you, what the enemy has announced over you, what others have done to you, like, no more. It will not define you. Trust me. And you lay your life down. You say, yes, God. It was a divine moment. It was a planned moment. The moment you gave your life to Christ. It wasn't by your own doing. I told you all, you would never wake up one day and say, ah, today I'll try Jesus. No, no, no. You would never do that. If you're sitting here today, if you ever came to Christ, it is because Christ revealed himself to you. God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus so that you would awaken and come to him, to live for him, to acknowledge him. If you slipped up, if you're falling back, get up. As long as you have breath in your body, you are to be about your father's business. One of my favorite memories of my mother years ago was when I know how desperately she wanted me to stay around. But she knew I had to go and serve up north in Georgia. And I'll never forget the day that she laid hands on me and she said, Son, go be about your father's business. I'll be okay. And I was like, oh, wow. And I still hear her today after coming back from the dead just a few weeks ago. Encouraging me, go be about your father's business. And I want to encourage you all, go be about your father's business. Let the past be the past. Get up and move on. Jesus in the garden, he knows what he's about to endure is the greatest thing that he would ever face. But look what he says, not my will, but your will. And then he returned and found the disciples asleep. Remember, they were supposed to stay awake and keep watch. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you have watched with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again, and he prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. 
But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I've shared with you over and over, y'all, to encourage you. This phrase that Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, you can sit down, open up, I'm going to have Bible, so I'm going to read my Bible. And before you know it, in minutes, you're like, oh, like, oh, you know, you're tired. Your mind's all over the place. You're thinking of this, you're thinking of that. You know, you could be sitting in church, you could be in worship. Your, your, your mind's all over the place. That's why you have to learn discipline. I told you when I first, I hated, I, I didn't graduate. I'm uneducated. <laughs> I didn't like to read. Now I can't read enough. The Word of God, when I first opened it, it made no sense to me. What is all this saying? And every time I would open it up, I was dozing off. But I noticed I didn't have a problem watching a three-hour movie. I didn't have a problem doing this or doing that. So I never forget that one night I was reading the Bible and I kept falling asleep. And finally I said, you know what? Oh, wait. This flesh of mine is my enemy. It desires nothing but that which will kill it. Oh, no, no, no. Wait a minute. I, the Bible says, and I read that scripture, that I have self-control. And now I have to learn the new way of living. So I said, flesh, if you're going to make me tired, I'm going to make you work. So I would open up my Bible. I wouldn't sit. I would walk. And I did a lot of walking, reading. It made no sense to me. But you know what? Every time I opened it up, I said, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. It's not going to make sense to me. So open up my heart and my mind that I have full understanding and wisdom. Because Jesus says he had to go away so the Holy Spirit would come. Because he's our teacher. He's our guide. He's our comforter. Are you depending upon the Holy Spirit? Even when you come to church, you come to church and you say, God, I may not fully understand what's going to be said today, but give me the wisdom and the counsel and the understanding and the discernment that I need that I won't just be a hearer of the word, but I can be a doer of the word. See, if you're not doing the word, it'll make no sense to you. But start putting things into practice. Just understand your flesh will love nothing more than to rest. But you got to get up because everything is waging war against you. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You got to get up every day and you got to announce. Like I said, you need to let faith swallow up fear. You got to know truth. You got to know your identity. You got to know who you are in Christ so you can beat back the insecurities that the flesh wants to feed off. You got to get up every day and begin to see a future ahead of you. Instead of your past behind you screaming at you, you're nothing. Oh no, I had to kick through those doors and say, You can remind me all you want about who I was, but may I remind you of who he is? See, you got to start shifting your mindset. How, remember what the scripture, what the Bible says. How does he transform us? By changing the way we think. If your thoughts aren't being changed, you're not being transformed, and you're just a slave to sin. 
But Romans 6 says you're not to be a slave to sin any longer. You're to be a slave to righteousness, right living in Christ. This is the hope that we have. In this hour, Jesus returns. He finds them sleeping. You can't even stay awake for an hour. I need you to stay awake. He comes back, they're asleep. He's like, listen, it's all good. The time is now. There's my betrayer. And immediately, it says here in verse 43, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you could take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, teacher, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. And Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all of his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man falling behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. They all ran. But Jesus was captured. I love this picture, what Jesus says. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? That you come with me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Like there was no previous incident with Jesus that they would have to come so violently to take him. But that's what was incited among those that are against him. And remember what Jesus' word said, but this had to be done. Because scripture needs to be fulfilled. They had to scatter. Because that's what God stated would happen. What he spoke and what he speaks is already in plan. He's not man that he should lie. He doesn't change his word to accommodate men. So I don't know why we the church think we can do that. No, God is God. And what he has purposed, he will bring about. Jesus himself, fully man, fully God. He knew the hour was upon him. And he would endure it for you, for me. So that we can be reconciled back to God. That's why I love Romans 5.1. It says, now therefore, you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. I remember years ago when I read that scripture because for so many years of my life I had no peace. The things I thought were making me have peace, they kept failing me. 
the people that I thought around me would, would, I would somehow feel secure, they kept failing me. From the years of being abused and just trying to find some peace, some place, I searched and I exhausted myself. But the day that Jesus stepped in, and until the day in that condo when I was on my knees, as I shared with you last week, and I finally said, God, I'm yours. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going to become. When I got up off that floor, just like the heavy of chains, the heaviness of chains and just junk fell off. And for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, I didn't know where I was going or anything. I had peace. Like never before, there was a wholeness because I was right with God. Not because of anything of me, but all because of Him. And that's why my prayer is for you all, is that you all would know that peace. That you would have that confidence, assurance in Christ. That He is God and God alone. And that nothing can compare to His love for you. Nothing can compare. Though everything will try to, nothing and no one can compare to Christ. He's God, you all. Go to Psalm 52. Nine verses. Psalm 52. And as I've been encouraging you in the book of Psalms, I hope as you're reading through it, that it's encouraging you to look up. Because these psalmists, they endured life. The tragedies of life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But no matter what they were facing, they looked up. They knew their God. Psalm 52. Why do you boast about your crimes, great warrior? Don't you realize God's justice continues forever? All day long, you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to destroy others with your words. You liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you from your home and uproot you from the land of the living. Capture that. Look at what the word is saying and describing about one who puts their hope in themselves. Self-reliant. A liar. (laughs) They plot destruction. They're not living for God. They're living for self. And they'll take and they'll take and they'll do and they do just for themselves and they don't care who they hurt. Because it's all about me. But look at the end of what's to come for them. God's justice. God will uproot them. God will turn them over. And God is just and God is right to do so. Look at the good news. Verse 6. The righteous will see it and be amazed. 
They will laugh and say, look at what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust in their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. But I am like a tree, like an olive tree, thriving in the house of the Lord. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will always trust in God's, I'm sorry, unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name and the presence of your faithful people. The contrast, the difference between the unrighteous and the righteous. They live for themselves, we live for God. There needs to be a difference, you all. It's not that you're better than them. You've humbled yourself before God. You know, in and of yourself, you would be right back there. And that's what's so, so awesome about the love of God is that He delivers us, He frees us, He, he changes us, and then He puts us right down in the midst of where we've been and says, now go live different. <coughs> You see everything and everyone else around you. Don't get tripped up by it. Live different. Serve them. Love them. Tell them about me. Tell them of the way out. And how to come in through Christ to have peace with their creator, with their maker. See, those who are not serving their creator can only be enslaved to the created to relationships, to things, to money, to whatever. And I challenge you, go through your life and even where you're at now, if there's something that's created, that has your attention, that is lording over you, renounce it. (laughs) Learn to be different. Learn to let go of its hold and learn to serve your Creator. Because in the end, ultimately, that's all there is. Either eternity with him or eternity separated from him. This is just one shot, you all. Once that sky parts and Jesus comes as the ruling and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, those who end up in hell don't get another shot. For eternity. For eternity. They knew they had the opportunity. And for eternity. They will know. That they chose. Themselves. Over God. An eternal punishment. That wasn't created for mankind. It was created for Lucifer and the fallen angels. But the enemy deceives to drag you to the place that was prepared for him. Oh, you can choose to go. I tell people all the time, go and do and live however you want. That is your choice. I'm not going to berate you. Go and do whatever. Enjoy it. Get your share of it because that's it. Like when I had to set Norma outside of the church, I told her, go be the best lesbian. Go be the best lover. Do your best. 
have your way, have your share, enjoy your relationships, get all of it that you can do, (laughs) because in the end, that's all you have. When I had a youth pastor come and say, Robin, let's go to lunch, I knew what he needed to tell me. I said, well, let's go, let's sit down, let's have lunch. And then he needed to tell me how he was gay and how he's leaving his life and that he's doing this and he's doing that. And now, now you know that Jesus is, is gay. And he was saying all of this crazy stuff. And as some of you know the story, I was just eating my soup, listening to him until he started talking about Jesus. I put my soup down. I didn't know these two waitresses and waiters were listening. I said, let me tell you something. You can tell me anything you want about your life and what you think you are and who you are and where you want to go. Oh, but one thing you're not going to do here in front of me is tell me. About my God. Exactly. (laughs) Because now we're going to have a problem. I'm all for you. I'll celebrate you. Good news. Good luck. Go get your fail. Go get your share. Be the best. Stand up. Be prideful. Wave the flag and do it all. But you will not talk about my God. He just sat there. And I said, so we, either I can finish my soup and we can finish our lunch or I need to get up and go. And then when he looked up, I looked over and I didn't know. Like I said, they were like, they were all waiting. He's like, oh no, let's finish our lunch. And I listened to him. I knew what he went through. I knew how he was molested for years of his life at the hands of pastors. I knew exactly. I had been counseling him for months. I knew exactly the torment and the lie that the enemy was saying to him. But now he's at a place where he's believing it. Now he's at a place where he's like, no, like I got to get up from this. I got to go be me. And I give him a big hug. And I said, man, go be you. But how I pray for you that you'll return. That you will turn back to God. And all the different people that I've counseled over the years, no matter what their sin is, no matter what form of destruction they have wrapped themselves up in, I don't berate them. I don't beat them down. That's what you want? Go. All I can do is give you the good news in hopes that you would turn to Christ. That you would just come home and finally be at rest and at peace. Because there's nothing, it doesn't matter how far you've gone or how dark you think you are, God is brighter (laughs) and God is better and God is good. And my God, the church ought to start living for their God. They ought to recognize, as the psalmist recognized here, who their trust is in, who they serve, and who they will praise all the days of their life. No matter if they're being dragged out like those other men just a few months ago in Nigeria. These Christian men... Dragged out, forced to their knees to be beheaded by their enemies. Just because they're Christian men. 
And when I enlarge the picture to look at their faces, I can't get it out of my mind, the peace that they had. There was such a content, peaceful look right before their death. I said, God, I want faith like that. I want faith like my brothers and sisters who are enduring overseas. I want faith to be able to stand up and to go out and to proclaim the truth, to love on people, knowing good and well they're going to hate me because they hate you. Knowing good and well that the world is going to push back on us because they hate him. And again, in our nation, it's being twisted now. It's the church that's promoting hate. It's the church that is divisive. It's the church that has the issues. It's the church that we need to do away with. When we're hearing the politicians say it. When I told you they have been documenting since the 1930s the communists and the socialists their agenda to destroy America do you know they're, they're, what they've arrived to back in 1930? Destroy the church. That's how we'll destroy America. And everything that they have planned since 1930, written out in documents, actual documents, this isn't some weird conspiracy theory, but actual documents, their plan is all taking place. It's all unraveling throughout the years. And this is where we're at. This is our generation. So what are we going to do? Are we just going to cower back? Or are we going to stand up and say, no, not on my watch. Arrest me, take me out, do whatever. But while there's breath in my body, I am going to declare the truth of God's word. I am going to pray over our nation. I am going to push back darkness. Because that's what God has purposed us to do in this generation. You are purposed for a reason. Why do you think hell has done all that it has can to do to destroy your life? Because it knows if you get up and you start truly believing and fulfilling what God has purposed you to do, you're going to impact this generation and waves of righteousness are going to go forth from your life and other lives are going to be impacted and other lives are going to be impacted and there's going to be a wave like a tsunami of righteousness that's just going to go through and accomplish what God has purposed to bring about His return. That's the good news, you all. That's who we are. That's why I just don't want to come an hour on a Sunday. Oh, let's just do church. That's ridiculous. No, we are to be the church. The church isn't a building. The church is the people. And we're to do life together. We're to encourage, we're to edify, we're to build up. We're not to go back. Go to Proverbs. We're ending here. Three Proverbs. Three verses of Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs 11. Little nuggets of wisdom given to us in the Word of God. Proverbs 11, verses 1 through 3, is where we're ending today. <clears throat> All right. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, 
but he delights in accurate weights. Pride leads to disgrace, but humility comes, I'm sorry, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Three nuggets of wisdom. The comparison. God doesn't like deceit. Look at verse 1. He detests dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Like none of this is going to produce anything in our lives except deception, treacherous ways, death. Nothing good comes from it. Pride leads to disgrace. Oh, you may think you've got it, but in the end, you're going to fall. Do you know how many people are living in our society today that are living in a false reality? And a lot of them are sitting in churches. They puff themselves up, but they're the worst of sinners. They think they've got it all together, but they actually have nothing. They stand and they point their finger at everyone else. But in reality, all to be pointed right at them. Pride. People just living out there. Thinking they've got it all, and in reality they have nothing. Do you understand the generation in which we're living? Where people now think that everything has to be given to them. Do you understand what the culture has created? That the generation has been lied to. There's just a level of deception all over and people have bought into it. And it's puffed themselves up. Give it to me. I deserve it. Give me, give me, do for me, do for me. And it leads nowhere. It's the most craziest thing. The people that are shouting that They are putting into power people who will end up squashing them. It's a vicious cycle, you all. But look at this. But with humility comes wisdom. There is a way in which we are to live. And honesty will guide good people. But dishonesty will destroy the treacherous people. There is a way in which we ought to be living, you all. And I would just encourage you, if you're not living, if there's things in your life, there's again, because we're not perfect, there's always things in us that are need to be moved forward on, let go of, grow up from. We're not perfect. There's always something that God is drawing out of us to get us to where we're going. We ought to live a repentant life. It's not just a little one-time prayer, and then poof, you're a Christian. No, it's a lifestyle. It's a daily repentance. It's a daily, oh God, search me and know me. Test me. See if there's any wicked way within me. I'd be repentant. Like, God, that's ugly. God, I don't want this in my life. God, it's greater than me, but it's not greater than you. Send me to people who can encourage me. God, open up the doors that I can step out of it. Remember, allow allow faith to swallow up your fear. Like, there is a way in which we can live, you all. And we've got to start encouraging each other. Because the world 
is chaos. I mean, look at what's happening in Puerto Rico. Those people are living on the streets. The ground is shaking underneath them. Volcano is going off today in New Zealand or some the Philippines. You know, fires are out there in Australia. Wars and rumors of war. Chaos is continuing. People are all over the place, out of control. But we're not to get caught up by it. <laughs> we're to keep our eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, why there's breath in my body. I just want to serve you and serve others. So go this week, you all. Draw close to him. Allow him to finish the work that he has begun in you. Humble yourself. Trust in him. And go and impact those around you with the truth of God's word. I'm going to close this with this song. And then I'm going to close this in prayer.
Пусти 